Hi and welcome to a fabulous episode of The Courageous Mama this snowy week. I hope if you're in England, you've enjoyed some sledging. If you're in Oz, you're enjoying the beach. With the modern world of Instagram, it never fails to amaze me to see all the photographs coming through of people in their different climates across the world. And thank you for your lovely comments. Here, I'll read you one from this week. Keep the podcasts coming. They are my little escapes and I get so much from them. So thank you for that. It always reinforces that sense of community when I hear from you. I know I've also spoken to some of you that have questions and that's always a privilege and especially rewarding when I hear the feedback afterwards. Parenting is a big job and we all have so much to learn from each other. I had great fun recording this week's show with Hannah Clark. She's a psychotherapist, a clinical supervisor and an equine assisted learning practitioner. That's a mouthful. Hannah started as a teacher and then was a youth and community worker with over 25 years of experience of working with vulnerable adults, children and young people. She's a faculty member of Roots Institute in Seattle where she teaches on their animal assisted therapy training program. She's also a member of the Scarborough Psychotherapy Training Institute. I tracked her down because I was fascinated to learn about animal assisted therapy. (laughs) You can find out quite quickly what my son Johnny thought that was. But I learned so much more than I went for. We took a walk around her farm and met, among others, Colin the Enormous Pig and his very loyal wife, Dolores the Goose. (laughs) And you'll meet a few of them throughout the podcast. I'll put a picture of Colin and Dolores on the blog. Hannah had COVID over Christmas, so I was pleased to see her back in good health. She's fun, she's interesting, and I think you're going to love what she shares. I began by asking her, why a farm? Well, so from as early as I can remember, I just loved animals. And all I ever wanted was a menagerie of animals. That makes me tearful just thinking about it because it was an absolute childhood dream of mine. It's a dream come true. Totally a dream come I love true. That. Yeah, yeah, me too. I <laughs> love that too. <laughs> it um, happens, guys. <laughs> yeah, it does happen. And I grew up in Jersey in the Channel Islands. Right. And uh, we had dogs and cats and guinea pigs and rabbits. And you now I always wanted a pony and I wanted goats and I wanted a pig. And I just wanted more animals. And it wasn't possible in Jersey with it being, you know, quite a small island and all the rest of it. Anyway. When I moved here, which was eight years ago now from Jersey, uh, more space, more land, just easier to have animals. So over the last eight years, I have been collecting animals. Which one was your first? So chickens. The chickens were the first ones. Right. Um, And then... So you came in gently. I came in gently. Yeah, yeah. I never had chickens. (laughs) Always wanted chickens. Got some chickens, and then we got some more guinea pigs, because I love guinea pigs. Do you? Oh, they're the most gorgeous animals. That's so interesting. So I always think that's the animal that people buy when they think they ought to have a pet. Yes. And then within a year, think, you know, how many people go, you don't want my guinea pig, do you? No, yeah, <laughs> yeah well, well, you're right. Well, I'll introduce you to my guinea pigs. We've okay. got five guinea pigs here who pretty much are feral, and they... They live a life as close to the life that they could live if they were living in Peru wild. Right. Uh, and they have incredible personalities and lovely relationships with each other. And they're not kept in a hutch and they're not picked up. And, and once you get to know them and, and kind of have the opportunity to explore who they are, they're really lovely little complex creatures. I are love they? them. Yeah, absolutely. I guess all animals have character, really, when you get close up, yeah. don't they? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then we've got a turkey, Clement, who I rescued from... Uh, 
becoming someone's Christmas dinner. Well, Jamie, you literally sort of, you know, grab it when it got delivered. Or well, <laughs> <laughs> nearly. I heard an advert on the radio saying, grow your own Christmas turkey. And I was just so <gasps> horrified. And it was over in Ledbury. And I literally, I said to Tony, I'm going to Ledbury to get a turkey. <laughs> so I jumped in the car, drove to Ledbury, got this six-week-old turkey, beautiful. He cried all the way home in the car um, and then grew him up in the house until he got too big and uh, and then he joined the outside menagerie. Gosh. Yeah. That's interesting you should say that because that brings me to the therapy side. You're, do we call you an animal therapist? I mean, Johnny this morning thought that meant that you gave therapy to animals, but it's really not what you do at that's, all. That's not what it is. How do you explain what so you're it, doing? It's, uh, it's animal-assisted psychotherapy. Right. So the animals are assisting in the therapeutic process. So they're, they're like a co-therapist without knowing that they're a therapist. Yeah. But you started off being a psychotherapist mm. before you introduced yes. it and then you went off to the states and trained yeah right? i did uh in 2010 i went to america so there's a lovely story just behind that where i was working with so i've always worked with children and young people initially as a teacher and then as a youth and community worker and then i trained as a psychotherapist and a friend of mine had a son with autism and she had lots of horses and i just love horses uh, and she said to me, oh, I'm doing this weird thing with horses. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I went to my first equine assisted psychotherapy session without realizing that's what it was and was just blown away by the power of spending quiet time with a horse that wasn't about mucking out, grooming, riding, none of the doingness. It was about being with a horse. Um, and it was an incredibly powerful emotional experience for me. And I thought I need to go and train in this because I am really committed to therapy. I think it's an incredible thing and I love animals. So if I can put those two together, happy days. This was made for you, wasn't totally it? Totally made for me. Yeah. I couldn't believe it existed. It was so yeah. great. So does that mean you no longer do therapy without animals? Is this your whole world now? No, most of my therapy is not animal-assisted therapy. Oh, okay. it's, um, I do a lot of EMDR and I'm a trained integrative psychotherapist. So Let's I, break those down a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with EMDR. So EMDR Pretty is... Pretty new, isn't it? it? Yeah, it is. It's eye movement desensitisation. That's Colin, by the way, in the background. <laughs> and reprocessing. Okay. Uh, and it's a very, very effective trauma-based therapy. And because most of the children and young people I work with are adopted or fostered, so they've all got a complex trauma history, I wanted to add to my skills um, so that I could be of greater service to them, really. So I finished my training last year in EMDR, and it's it's been invaluable. So is EMDR machine-based? Is it a technique? No, it's about bi alternate bilateral stimulation. Go Big on, then. Words. We can do this. <laughs> so, so classically, it's the movement of the eyes from left to right, yes. which replicates REM sleep. Okay. Uh, the theory being that our brains are good at processing stuff as long as they don't get stuck. Often what happens with a trauma memory is that it ends up in a loop where they're getting triggered all of the time. And REM sleep, which would normally help sort out those trauma memories, is not enough in order to process them. So REM sleep is supposed to unclutter trauma? Yeah, well, unclutter our everyday lives. And given enough support, it can certainly help us manage trauma. It's when children are left in traumatic experiences for a period of time with no support, which is what PTSD is, that they end up looping these memories and they can't get away from them. And REM sleep is not enough to help them with that. Is, do you know, I didn't know that about REM sleep. I mean, we know we need rest. Mm, yes. <laughs> but I didn't realise it played such a part in de-stressing 
yeah. trauma and trauma explain what you think trauma is so our definition of trauma is something that was unexpected you were unprepared for it and you were overwhelmed by it and you had very little support so so that would Brilliant. be a traumatic very incident concise. and someone may recover from trauma really easily or quickly not easily because they have good support but when you're left with that trauma experience with no support that's when it becomes really complex and difficult for people right okay that was beautifully explained and of course you know we're foster parents mm. and so that experience of being taken away from yeah. your birth parents and yeah. very quickly moved into yeah. a new home i would say that that is absolute trauma, isn't well, it? Well, unexpected, unprepared, overwhelmed. Yes. So absolutely. All of those. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much so. So EMDR is really interesting in that it's almost like a like a filing system. So so what, what REM is doing is it's taking things that are difficult and moving them into a filing cabinet in long term memory where you know they happened but they don't have the emotional heat that a trauma memory memory continues to have. Whereas what EMDR does, because the memories are so jumbled, is it pinpoints a specific memory. So that's the file we're going to take. And then the process of alternate bilateral stimulation moves that memory from the front of the brain into the back of the brain, into long-term memory, where the child still knows it's happened, but it no longer has that same emotional pain attached to because it. Because it can feel like you're reliving it when Absolutely. you're having a trauma, can't it? Yeah. But when you say it does that, what does that? The words? No, the the, the moving of the eyes from left to right. And how do you do that? You literally stick your finger in front of them. Well, I have a light bar, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm just putting my finger up right yes. now. So you would literally follow my finger from left to right and you would go quite and keep quickly. my head still or you'd go your, with it you'd have your head still yeah. and your eyes would move whilst focusing on a specific trauma memory gosh so that's like that's rubbing your tummy and patting your head how am I supposed it's to do that it's actually not that hard <laughs> is <laughs> it not once you get yeah it's, it's not so that do you difficult. have to get them talking first and bringing well, we the memory to the forefront yes but only it's it's not a reliving of trauma in that you only have to touch on it and the young person or the adult I'm working with they don't have to tell me all about the experience they just need to give me an image an emotion and where they feel it in their body and that's good enough to process it gosh that's fascinating yeah and I suppose it's very forefrontly present anyway if it's trauma yes they're living it every day often yes so how many sessions of that would a person need in order to move it from the frontal lobe down to the memory banks? That depends. So if it's an acute trauma, it's a one-off incident, so a car crash or an assault, then that can be processed very quickly, usually within six to eight sessions. If it's more complex and, and before a child was able to speak, then it usually takes longer because they won't have a cognitive memory as such. It's more a felt sensation in the body. Okay. So um, abuse, neglect, absolutely. ongoing yeah. battery, that yeah. kind of... And you have to do an awful lot of safety preparation for a child and resourcing them, they call it, in EMDR. Like what? Uh, so, for example, you might get them to imagine a nurturing figure and it doesn't have to be a human, it could be Mother Nature or, or anything. So you'd help them with a nurture team so they might be able to think of three beings uh, it can be animals as well it can be characters from books or films so marvel comic heroes are quite good so you do a nurturing team a protector team so this is where your marvel comic people come in so it might be iron man or the hulk or yeah. whoever um, and then a wisdom team so often, what do they do with those they hold them so, in their so, minds yeah so they imagine this this team is with them so when you start to process the trauma they're not doing it on their own so so you'll, they'll have their whole team with them. I love that. And Go you, to the wisdom, I cut you off. So wisdom, wisdom might team. be Gandalf. Um, Yoda. 
Yo- oh, Yoda. <laughs> I love Yoda. <laughs> I love yeah, Yoda. Yoda, exactly. Obi-Wan. So you really help them think about the qualities of yes. the nurturer, the protector and the wise okay. figures. So you do a lot of that before you actually, you know, dip into the trauma memory. Golly. And then there was another form of therapy that you mentioned and I said let's break that integrative down. okay let's yes. go for that let's so, let's gen up guys so, <laughs> so I am um, I qualified as an integrative psychotherapist which means you learn about all different types of modalities in psychotherapy so you do some CBT cognitive behavioral therapy you do some gestalt psychotherapy which is about completing cycles and looking at where the cycle has not been completed and working with that almost that rift Give me an example of a non-completed cycle. So a, a really basic one that you may not use in therapy is you notice you're feeling hungry. Uh, so a complete gestalt would be you have a sensation, you notice the sensation, you make sense of the sensation. Oh, I'm hungry. You get out of your chair, you find some food, you eat the food, and then that's the completed gestalt. So you've got a sort of dopamine-assisted cycle. Yeah, so you yeah. go from awareness right through to satisfaction. Yeah. Okay. And quite often these experiences in life are, are broken at some point. So so that's where you'd okay. work. Like maybe a broken relationship. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, that you haven't processed um, yes. you know, the, the grief. grief of. Yeah, yeah grief. Perfect okay. example yes. of an uncomplete gestalt. And what can you do with this particular therapy for that? How do you complete a cycle that hasn't been completed? You... Well, I mean, again, I'd use EMDR. Yeah. I'd go straight to EMDR with it, do the resourcing and go to EMDR to process the grief and the loss. But that's interesting, isn't it? Because I always think of trauma, the actual experience of it, being slightly different from the ongoing loss. So would yes, the EMDR you're right. deal with the trauma? EMDR would deal with the trauma, but it would also help you come to a place of acceptance probably more quickly. Would it? Yeah. In my experience. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. absolutely. It's a really effective therapy. Have we got this from America? I mean, we have, <laughs> of course. Are we ever going to come up with anything about Where else? <laughs> so it was um, a woman called Francine Shapiro. She just died recently, only 20 years ago, who came up with the MDR. She was walking in the park and thinking about something that was very difficult and noticed that her <laughs> eyes were moving left to right. Involuntarily? Her Involuntary, eyes, right. her eyes were moving left to right and, and that she was feeling a bit better. Then she did lots of experiments around doing it on purpose with lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And her efficacy base came from doing research with Vietnam veterans who had been given up on in the United States. Right. Um, you know, were homeless, so alcoholics, drug mind. addicts, um, and no therapy seemed to be really supporting them. And EMDR came through with flying colours. What a gift. A- incredible. To just notice that in the part one day. Yeah. And it started with really big T traumas, we call them. So, so rape, death, you know, murder, violence, that yeah. kind of stuff. War. War. Yeah. And then they realised after a period of time that it's just effective on small T traumas. So, you know, right. bullying and um, attachment disruptions and low self-esteem, anxiety, depression. They're, they're doing a big study at the moment around clinical depression and EMDR. I feel like I want to try this at home. Well... <laughs> Come see me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a pencil and just left it happens. <laughs> so anyway, there you were with all your qualifications and all the different yes. practices. And then the menagerie grew. So you mainly deal with children, is that right? But do you ever see an- adults? I do see adults. I was going to say, do you ever see animals? You see, <laughs> I see lots of animals. Do you see, do you see adults? You do. I do. Yes. Okay. Yes, so I do see adults. Walk us through a typical therapy session. Okay. So a new client would arrive, and uh, we do the safety paperwork before anything else, and then all the animals would be in their various paddocks, and I'd bring the client in, and then we would we would go around, and I would introduce all the animals to them from a, a safe distance, and kind of a. I mean, people only come if they like animals, so 
that's one step ahead. I was going to ask you that. Do yeah. you have to get past that? It, it, not, no. not usually, okay. no. No, they usually yeah. only come because they love animals. Uh, so that's great that that hurdle is over. But because I've got a pig and I've got goats and I've got some bigger animals, quite often they haven't met a pig before. So we have to put some safety in place because... Colin loves me and I love him dearly, but he can be quite suspicious of strangers, which is a great therapeutic intervention in its own right. Um, but I might come to that. I, w- I will be yeah, asking you yeah, about okay. that. Yeah. So we meet all the animals, you know, get any impressions they had, you know, who do they like more than anybody else. Um, so I can kind of think about who we're going to work with more effectively. And then you probably can't see it from here, but over there we've got really big ash trees and I've got three swing chairs in the trees. Oh, yes, I did and notice Yeah, those, that's my yeah. little therapy room, basically. Oh, wow. Outdoor therapy room. Oh, it's gorgeous. You are so and trendy, kids love that. <laughs> love it. Do. I love it. Uh, so then we would go to the swing chairs and we would probably have 20 minutes, 30 minutes of conversation about what's brought them into therapy, what are they looking to achieve from therapy, why animal-assisted therapy, you know, that kind of getting-to-know-you session. And then maybe by the end of that first session, we might come up with a therapeutic plan together about the next steps, you know, whether I think this is going to be of benefit to them or if I think something else might be of greater benefit to them. And then we might finish by collecting eggs or, you know, going back to the animal they really were right. felt drawn to to begin with and yes. spending a bit more time with them. Usually, I mean, it's fine with the chickens, but usually in a first session, again, on the other side of the fence to, to begin with. Right. And what if the answers to the, your questions were, I've come because mummy said I had to, you know, they haven't necessarily come knowing they need therapy have they how do you handle that so with younger children we never really say that it's therapy okay because it can be really pathologizing and i don't think for a lot of children thank you (laughs) all the big words today haven't i (laughs) um i i don't think for a lot of children it's helpful so they're coming to spend some time with animals to help them feel a bit better right okay that's 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 kind of how it is oh much better um and they they don't go away thinking oh there's something wrong with me which is what I, I don't want that for children at all because mm. it's, it's quite stigmatising, really it? unhelpful in their process and can put them off coming yes. um, because they think, oh, oh, something wrong with me. But at the same time, they get to an age where they know something's up. Absolutely. So I suppose and, there needs to be some truth case, on the table. Of course, if they're older, then yes. that's absolutely fine. I have to say that I don't really have kids come here who don't want to be here. They may not want to come to begin with, but once yes. they've come in and they've seen it, that's not a problem that, that we usually have. So how do you handle it? Let's say a child's come with deep rejection issues mm. and obviously Colin needs time to get used to that person. How how do you work that business of the animal perhaps not wanting to be touched mm. or stroked? So I would probably start with helping them understand the personality of the animal and their needs because all the animals have their own personal needs. So I would probably talk about how Colin is a bit nervous of strangers uh, and then wonder is that something that you've ever experienced Uh, so you're always linking the animals exactly exactly so again they don't feel like there's something wrong with them because Colin goes through that as well and that it's taken time for me to have a relationship with Colin and to begin with we weren't the best of friends uh, but we are now and that if he's a bit suspicious of you it's because he feels nervous and scared and again I wonder if Maybe you felt like that on your first day of school. I certainly remember that I did when I started school. I, I cried my eyes out to begin with, had to go home. So so all the time normalising, normalising and helping them understand that there is a connection between maybe what they've gone through and um, the animal's needs. And what I found is that is enough for 
pretty much every young person I've ever met to have a connection with that animal and not push through that boundary. Gosh, so they can really relate. And what you're also digging into there is empathy. Absolutely. Yes. And I always think that where you see empathy, there's hope. I agree. Do yes, you? absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, the animals I have the biggest issue with, with with empathy is the guinea pigs. Because? Because guinea pigs are almost a toy for children in lots of, of ways. They pick them up. They do what they want with them. Often they don't look after them very well. And this is not true of all children, of, no, course. of course. But because they're smaller, there's almost a right to do what I like with them. Ah, Whereas with yes. a bigger animal, of the fittest. There has, there's much more respect. Yes. Uh, so it, I love having a variety of animals around. I'm having my feet pegged. <laughs> yes, and do you find there's any particular animal that people are gen- children are generally drawn to? So they love the goats because they're really friendly and they're incredibly playful. They're slightly childlike goats, aren't they? They are. There's a real, yeah. I can really see that. Yeah. yeah. What, what I love about a variety of animals is they all bring something to the picture. So depending what um, a child needs, there's usually an animal to, to meet that need. So the ones who who've forgotten how to play uh, or are ashamed of playing or, or can't show that beautiful childlike quality, the goats are fantastic at bringing that out. And kids who are sad and depressed and anxious, I, oh, it, honestly, it just makes my heart so happy in that they will leave here beaming and you can see some confidence growing in them and that their energy is, is bigger and that their shoulders are back and they are standing taller because they've come here and they've had fun and mm. they've had connection and they have a, had a, an animal that wants to spend some time with them. So the goats are fantastic for that. Gosh, a um, real morale boost. Brilliant, really brilliant. And actually brilliant. something about joy and fun that oh, I think is so connected important. to creativity and coming mm. back to life. This is a good place to stop my conversation with Hannah and say, if connection is your goal, if you'd love some great ways to raise an emotionally healthy child, a child of good character and a strong yet gentle sense of their own identity, then you will love Parenting for Life. It's a fully illustrated, beautiful, hardback book of gems. And for you, it's available at the listener's price, delivered to your door for £15, much cheaper than it is on Amazon. You'll love it and your friends will love it. Here's a little note that I received this week. Just picked up your beautiful book and how full of lovely gentle reminders to genuinely listen and empathise. You know, there's a whole chapter on empathy and when you get to the end of it, you can ask yourself, are you surprised by what you didn't know about listening? If you'd like to take advantage of the listener's offer, then pop to the link in the show notes below and it'll take you to pages where you can peruse and where there's a pay link. Now, back to my conversation with Hannah. So do you find after sort of six sessions the parent will report that the child is in a better place? I mean, what, what are you looking for? So again, it depends on what they're, what they're coming with. So, so we are looking for things like uh, greater confidence, heightened self-esteem, most definitely, mm-hmm. uh, more of an ability to voice their needs and speak up for themselves. Now, Colin is brilliant for that because he's very clear about what he needs and has no issue about telling everybody (laughs) what he needs. So that can be quite intimidating to begin with for a child. But again, when I help them understand that, well, this is his personality and 
he has no issue with being a pig. He's brilliant for body image as well. Children who come with yes. eating disorder issues or body image issues. Yes. Because as you can see, Colin is not that svelte. He's, uh, and he really doesn't he's care. He's a rotund. <laughs> he's a rotund pig. And very happy to be that shape. Doesn't question it. Yes. Confident in, in his own skin. Yeah, he's rocking that shape. <laughs> he is rocking that shape. I agree. It's the shape of 2021. I think it might be. It might be. <laughs> I can relate to you, Colin. <laughs> now, those things that you talk about, they're quite quantifiable, actually, aren't they? Speaking yes. up for yourself a bit more, having a bit more self-confidence. The other thing um, that I sometimes look for is willingness to try something new. Mm. Do you think that's something that you would well, put on your list? No, definitely. I'm touching on something here. You are, because now I'm thinking about the geese. Right. So so the, the geese are quite ferocious. I put them over there in that paddock because any stranger on the property and they are squawking their heads off and they will have a they will bite you. Yes, definitely. we had a bit of a greeting, didn't we? On the other side of the fence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they they will bite you. So they're very intimidating to begin with. And you know, I don't let children near them or let near them near children yeah. to begin with. But overcoming that fear and standing up for yourself and teaching them how to manage geese and bring up their confidence and their energy so that they end up guiding the geese around herding the geese from being herded by the geese Love it. Um, is a massive challenge for lots of children and a real success point for them once they're able to do that and I mean that that's a new so thing. So that's a real feel the fear, feel the fear and, and do, do it, it anyway. anyway. Yeah. Yes. So I'll do lots of modelling of that to begin with, and you know I'll do lots of safety with them, so they know I'm a protector and I will keep them safe from the geese to begin with. I'll talk about their personalities. Um, I told you a bit earlier that Collins has a goose friend, Dolores, who is his girlfriend. Yes. Tell us about Dolores. <laughs> so I don't know what bizarre, but Dolores and Colin are. They're almost a married couple. <laughs> they really are. They hang out together. They this is good for couples who are very different exactly. to each other. Diversity. <laughs> yes. Diversity in relationships. Um, that he, she will preen him for hours. Aww. They sleep together. Very, you were saying they sweet. swim together in the spring and we, we have a little, you know, a paddly pool in the spring and they get in there together. A spa and there, married lovely. spa. It's really, it's a new photo. It's gorgeous. I have to see it's that. It's just gorgeous. I'm interested to know, you said that you loved the idea of having a pony as a child. Yes. I can't see one here. No, there is no pony here. I've had two horses. I got, I got right. my first horse when I was 40 as my birthday present to myself. Oh. And I had him for, well, for probably eight years. A horse that you ride or a horse it that It was a horse that I did ride. Yes. And um, I, I wasn't really doing uh, animal-assisted psychotherapy at that point. And then when I moved here, I haven't had a horse, but it is on my list of things to do when I'm slightly less busy than I am at the right. moment. So you've still got a bucket list to oh, yes. complete. There is a horse out there with my name on him. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. And why children and psychotherapy what got you into this so I qualified as a school teacher initially um, primary school teacher uh, I've just always had an affinity with young people and yeah I mean we get on well and and I love working with them and it's fun I think it's really fun mm. so I was a school teacher initially and then I and then I was a youth and community worker and working mainly with young people um, with complex developmental needs so on the autism spectrum and with learning uh, disabilities and that's where I started taking my dog with me and started to see the benefits of working with animals, with young people, on that level of nonverbal communication, which is 
just such a beautiful gift that animals and children can share with each Talk other. Talk to me about that. So this is the limbic resonance bit that... Um, I want to cover that. Well done. <laughs> that we will cover. <laughs> so, so in our brain, we have a limbic system and our limbic system is all around relationship and communication and non-verbal communication. So our neocortex is where our verbal communication is and underneath that is our limbic system. The limbic system is absolutely vital in forming attachments for a baby because they don't have any verbal language when Mm. they're born so all of the connection they have with their mother is through the limbic system and it's smell and touch and all of your senses are in tune and limbic resonance is when a mother and baby are in complete sync and having that gorgeous experience with each other Mm. where they are playful together where the baby is soothed where they're delighting in each other's company where there's just that gorgeous connection Mm, so limbic resonance absolutely leads to connection and we know that connection helps soothe the entire nervous system Mm. so children with early childhood trauma have missed this their limbic system is not wired in the way that it needs to be and what they're missing is limbic resonance and oxytocin oxytocin all of the the hormones are involved in in that system right so when we work with children who've experienced that early trauma and we talk to them it makes no difference because their neocortex is already developmentally delayed usually and we have to go back and repair from the bottom up so we have to go back to limbic resonance that non-verbal security safety protection connection before we can start to really help them with their learning And animals are brilliant at that. Often these children have been harmed by humans, so they're very suspicious of humans. And hanging out with humans, especially when you go to see a therapist you've never met before, and you're left there, when if that isn't going to freak you out, I I don't know what will. Whereas you come here and you meet lots of animals and your parent can come as well and you sit in a swing chair and there's no pressure. Um, Oh, someone's trying to get in. Is that Poppy? That's Jeff. (laughs) The goat wants to come through the wall. Limbic resonance. So again, so when they they come here and and there are less words, there's more uh, touching of animals. So the goats are really soft. And and I will pick a chicken up and they can stroke a chicken, which is gorgeous. And there's lots of sensory experience here. So there's trees and there's wind. So I would sit on the floor with kids and there's lots of hay. The chickens will come and get on us if they're happy with that. And the goats will come and say hello. and, And certainly for the first few sessions, there's not an awful lot of talking. There's much more being and helping a child start to recognize what's happening in your body because mm. that's all to do with the limbic system um, and noticing when that feels comfortable and when it feels uncomfortable and that's pretty much all I do to begin with is that comfortable is that uncomfortable how do you know where oh, do you feel okay. that so you get them in touch with sort of articulating feelings absolutely being yeah able to speak about how they feel yeah without actually labeling a feeling because that can be far too much for a young person who's experienced uh, lots of attachment disruption but they will recognize right. sensation usually so okay. we're just looking at sensation and and again I'll model it you know I feel I feel like a tingly feeling in my chest here and I can I can feel my mouth is smiling and that's because Rue wants me to you know stroke him or whatever it is yeah, so she's not kidding I don't want to leave here <laughs> It's just also (laughs) yummy. (laughs) It is is lovely. So that limbic resonance is so important in helping young people really start to understand what's going on inside them and how the outside influences that and then what control they can have over their inside experience. Right. And you can, again, see the difference after a few sessions because you've got those sort of quantifiable markers. But when you talked earlier about children on the spectrum, of which I have one, I'm quite interested to know what work you do with them 
that because there, there's some quite interesting things to overcome when you're on the spectrum, aren't mm. there? So again, it depends where on the spectrum and which spectrum. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about the Asperger. Yeah. Okay. Know, what's it called now? It's, it's, it's called something it's, else. The it's the autism spectrum disorder now, according that's to it. America. Yes. Yeah. That's the, it. Yeah. The DSM. Yeah. Um, so again, it depends mm. on what their needs are. So if, if if they experience a lot of sensory overwhelm, then what I might do is well, find out what that is, what is the sensory overwhelm, and then find out what would be the best place to have them in that they feel contained enough to be able to manage that. Mm. So we might just be in here, and we might just have one animal. Right. Um, right. As opposed to a smorgasbord oh, of animals. That's interesting, yes, of course. Unpack that word containment, because I know it's a, a word that you'll use in your sphere. Yes. It's probably not in common parlance, is it? No, <laughs> no, it probably isn't. So containment is being able to feel calm enough to engage with something so you can you don't become overwhelmed so my job as a therapist is to help someone feel contained so I will do that with my presence both verbal and non-verbal but the environment is also vital for that uh, and uh, you know having the knowledge of the child who's coming here first so that I can make sure you know I'm, I'm not pushing them outside of what we would call your window of tolerance your ability to cope right. with stuff yeah. is really important so they have a successful experience and I suppose it's so much easier outside than walking oh. into someone's unfamiliar office absolutely and absolutely. so going back to the spectrum of course that is exactly it they do get very easily overwhelmed they yeah. can have an over stimulated yeah. mind as well and it might they? be a much shorter session as well so that, so that it's a successful session so that they, they you know they're more likely to want to come back Right. Um, you know, if if you if you keep it again within that window of tolerance as best you can, and then they leave, bef you know, before any level of meltdown is likely yes. to happen. What about ADD? Would you have a specific sort of way forward? So, yeah. so I've, <laughs> I've had quite a lot of young people with ADHD with the hyperactivity bit come here. They're a lot harder to manage because, okay. <laughs> of course, Chasing they want to see everybody <laughs> and they want to talk to everybody. And uh, actually, they're the ones I struggle with the guinea pigs because they want to pick them up. So really working on boundaries is probably the biggest work I do with young people with ADHD and again sometimes keeping the sessions shorter and trying to keep them to a number of focal points but but that can be really quite tricky yes and and on. you know I probably wouldn't let them anywhere near Colin because they wouldn't be able to hold that boundary and I wouldn't want them to put themselves in any level yes because he's got some pretty big teeth he does Colin, have big teeth he? yes <laughs> he really does Yes, but it's if you look at him now, how gorgeous is he? Oh, he is absolutely divine. I can see why people buy pigs, but I also think, like you say, you start indoors, don't yes. you? And then before you know where you are, you've got this enormous thing yes. heaving its way around your rubbish bins in your kitchen. Yes, and, uh, yes, he was meant to be micro. I was taken in. He's, He's not a, micro. His parents are micro. His parents are micro. He's a genetic throwback. He is. <laughs> He's not micro. <laughs> But I think there's just more to love. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and all the chickens are rescue chickens from battery farms. Oh, are they? Yeah, so so they arrive here with no feathers, pretty much, and fighting with each other and really dysregulated, uh, re really dog-eat-dog, chicken-eat-chicken kind of vibe. And again, for the children who are working here, when the, when they arrive, and they, you know, they're horrified at how they look. But within two to three months, they've... Because they have free reign here, they can choose where they want to sleep, they can choose who they want to hang out with, they have lots of space, and all the things that children need and often don't get in school environments. Mm, mm. Um, they stop fighting really quickly, they 
form their own little friendship groups. They decide who they're going to sleep with. And as you can see them now, they're all fully feathered and happy, happy chickens. They Lovely are girls. very healthy looking chickens. But I'm quite interested to ask you, because I was reading an article recently in that book, Blink, by Malcolm Gladwell. There was a story in there about the fact that when they took a group of elephants away from their herd to try and start up a new colony because it was overpopulated where they were. They took teenage elephants. Oh, yes. And they started fighting with other animals and killing them with their tusks. Yes, I remember. And so they realised that the solution to this was to bring in daddy elephants. Mm. And that soothed everything. Mm. So when you bring your chickens in from the chicken farm, there isn't a family structure, no. is there? So no, not at all. how do you create that kind of learned experience if they don't have anyone to learn it from? Well, I think what we do is we create an environment that enables that innate instinct in them. So they're not put in a shed with other chickens that they don't like. And if you think of classroom situation where children are often in classrooms with people they're scared of or they don't like. Or, right. So we don't do that. They, they have full permission to choose. So, what, so when I see them, to begin with, fighting with each other, you know, I will break, the, break them up. And, you know, I'll be very clear that that's not how we behave around here. <laughs> and they, they get it really quickly that they don't need to fight for food anymore because they have lots of space and there's lots of food. So resources are not scarce here. Um, they don't have to peck the feathers out of someone else in order to get enough food to eat. Right. And they have enough space that if they're feeling a bit feisty or a bit upset, that they've, got, they could, they've go. got somewhere to go. Yeah. Okay, uh, you know, these are sense. the innate needs of, of all well, mammals. Maslow's hierarchy exactly. of needs. Exactly. Yeah. I tell you one thing I was going to ask you is that there is that sense that they say when you work with clients and animals where the client feels that the animal has sort of fully understood them and really kind of mm. got them. Mm. And just being contrary for a second, for the animal can't get it. They can't know. No. So what do you do with that anomaly that they feel got but they haven't been got? Well, I have seen magic happen in sessions that I cannot explain, in all honesty. So I don't know what happens for the animal, but I know what I can observe and I know what the client reports. And for some clients, they feel more seen and understood than they ever have in their entire life by anybody mm. else. And that's a felt experience for mm. them that has a lot of meaning. So that's not for me to question. It's for me to help them understand what does that mean for you. And I've seen, honestly, especially with horses, I have seen horses behave in ways that you just wouldn't believe that they would behave in. This is more with adult clients. Sometimes uh, an adult client, especially working with little mini horses, they're brilliant for this work because they're not so threatening, kind of sitting on the ground or kneeling down, clearly having an emotional experience and a horse coming up to them and pressing its muzzle against their head and breathing on them. Mm. And that that's the kind of thing that, that they just, they almost don't have words for. What they've said is that it feels like something has been released in them a, a level of pain is released in them that they have never had that experience before. Wow. And I can't explain that. Yeah. And there's a degree of acceptance there, mm. isn't there? Nobody's saying, no, you can't have that feeling or that no. doesn't look right. It's just no. you are who no. you are. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Now yeah. I'm going to ask you the all-important yes. end question. <laughs> yes. What's a courageous thing that you have done? So I think leaving Jersey at 44 years old... Um, leaving a home that I absolutely loved with all my friends and my family there and a job that I adored uh, to come here and start completely afresh not really knowing anyone I didn't have a job to come to um, was a really courageous thing to do uh, and there was something again I can't explain it 
that pulled me here something bigger than myself I don't know what that was but it pulled me here and I kicked and thrashed and cried and didn't want to come and made all sorts of justifications and yet I knew I needed to come here you and felt a calling yeah and I'm and I'm so grateful that I did eight years down the road uh, because it has definitely changed my life for the better and you know we have a fabulous company now that's doing really great things I'm you very do. proud of you do. Uh, and none of that would have happened if I if I hadn't come here what triggered that choice what, was there a person involved or a, no. there was no job involved there was a feeling a it feeling that a I there was something else for me to do that I couldn't do in Jersey because it was too small basically right. um, and too limited so I, I had to leave and do yeah. you get back there at all? I mean, obviously, you can't. Uh, yeah, the last time I was there was in September. The last time we were we were allowed out. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, you got there quickly. Then. I, I did. I was there for a week. Uh, lockdown. Yeah, delivering training, and I got to see all my nice. friends. And it's you know, it's it's a, it's my heart home. But I, I, there was other things for me to do on this planet, and they there weren't we there. Go. Yeah. So yes. you train people to do this? No, not animal assisted therapy. We we train uh, lots of individuals in therapeutic practice. So right. foster carers, doctor yes. parents, school teachers, you know, support workers yes. uh, who c- would really benefit from uh, a therapeutic understanding who don't want to be counsellors, basically. So we've got a suite of off-world qualifications in therapeutic practice. Well, there it is, an overview of what it's like to be an animal assisted psychotherapist. Her farm was amazing. I don't know what I expected, but just the variety of animals, the gentleness of her approach, her insights, and I really enjoyed unpicking some of those technical therapies and learning a bit more about them. I so enjoyed my time with Hannah. I hope you did too. Thank you for joining us. If you've got any questions or comments or want to book a chat about one of your children or an area that you're challenged in in family life, I'm easy to find. I'm the Courageous Mama everywhere. Instagram, blog, email, Gmail, and here on the podcast. Can I ask you to pop below and rate the show by punching me some stars and leaving a comment? I'd be so grateful. It makes it easier for people to find us. We drop every Tuesday. I'll see you next week.